pet peeve. Okay? It, it is, it, it drives me absolutely bonkers, and it is probably the most used phrase out of all of these that I hear. And it is very simply, now, remember, I'm gonna read this phrase, and then you're gonna respond. We'll see how well you remember from last week, okay? God will never give you more than you can handle. Ooh, I like it. We're good. And the reality of this is God did not say this. Now, how many of you, I'm curious, how many of you have heard this phrase before? Put your hand up. Yeah, see? All right. This is something that is used often, very often. And what we're going to find out today as we open up Scripture is that what God's Word actually says sounds similar, but is very different in understanding and application. Now, one of the things that, uh, as I was preparing for this week, I wanted uh, to think about is why do we like this phrase so much? Because it, you see this everywhere. You, you might hear, have someone say it to you in conversation in passing. You might see it all over social media or even in an email that you've received. Okay? Why is it that we like this phrase so much? And there's three things that I thought of right off the bat as to why we generally like this phrase or the sound of this phrase so much. The first one of those, <clears throat> it makes us feel like God wants what I want. Okay? When we hear a phrase, God will never give you more than you can handle, then it automatically assumes that everything that I have on my plate right now, God wants on my plate. So that means automatically, guess what? If that's true, you and I don't have to give up anything. That sounds really good. God wants what I want. I want, I want to be assured. I want to, I want to be assured that, hey, God, God wants everything that's going on in my life going on. And, and so by me recognizing and saying, God's never going to give me more than I can handle. Well, by golly, he wants what I want. Sounds good. The second thing, is it helps... Now, this is going to be a hard-hitting truth, okay? So get ready for this. It helps me justify my busy lifestyle. Okay? When I say the phrase, when I quote the phrase, God will never give me more than I can handle, it negates me from any responsibility to go, oh, maybe I have too much on my plate. And we like that because now the responsibility is not me. God, this is your fault. You, you'd never give me more than I can handle, so obviously everything that you've given me, I, I just have to handle it. Okay? If God will never give me more than I can handle, then I must be able to handle all that I have going on. That sounds pretty good to me. Thirdly, it allows me to continue relying on myself rather than on God, ultimately. And if we really get down to the nitty-gritty of that, it allows me to feel like I'm in control. God will never give me more than I can handle. Oh, I've got control of this. Okay? Changes things. Now, these are a lot of hard-hitting truths right off the bat. But I wanted to preface it this way to cushion us into the reality of thinking through why is it that we like hearing these things so much? And what does the Bible actually say and how does that apply? Okay? So let's like take a look at what God's Word actually says 
And uh, we're going to seek to uh, approach this, uh, approach our busy lives from a biblical perspective rather than a cultural one. Okay? So 1 Corinthians 10, I'm going to start reading in verse 1. And we're going to read all the way through verse 13. Okay? Now I want to preface this as we uh, open up. This letter is a letter that Paul wrote to uh, the church in Corinth. And a little history on the church in Corinth. Um, they were rooted in themselves. And they heard the gospel. They heard the good news proclaimed. And many came to faith in Christ. But over time, gradually, they started kind of inching their way back into the things that they wanted to do. Or the things they wanted to see. And they didn't really give up the stuff that they should have given up. And so Paul writes this first letter to them. Really exhorting them, hey, get on the right page. And a lot of this first letter to the church at Corinth is some pretty bold rebuke where Paul is saying, you guys are followers of Christ. You need to get on the right page here. You need to remember what you're called to. Remember what God has commanded to you, you to. Give up the things that shouldn't be part of your life and live for Jesus. Okay? And so that provides just a little background into what Paul's motive going into this is. is He desires that the church would be about what the church is called to be about. That they would be set apart. That there would be a distinction here rather than this meshing of cultural norms and principles. Sound familiar? There's, There's a lot of similarities. There's a lot of rebuke that could be given to the church today from what Paul was telling the church at Corinth. Now in verse 1... He says, for I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now pause for a minute, just to consider what this is speaking to. Paul is referring back to the fathers being the ancestors of Israel, what we read in the Exodus. Those who came out of Egypt, God's chosen people, who are now, he's using them as an example. And we're going to see why he's using them as an example in this text. Verse 6. Now these things took place as examples, everyone say examples, for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example. Everyone say example. But they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. 
Let's pray together. Father, I pray that as we uh, now hear this text, uh, Lord, that our understanding of this and our application of this would flow from your truth, not our own. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, just to rehash this a little bit and highlight some of this, what you see in this section of 1 Corinthians is you see Paul first take a step back and go, remember your ancestors. Remember the people of the past and remember the mistakes that they made. Now, one of the neat things, aspects about Scripture, and this is why I would highly encourage, if you've never read through the Old Testament, read through the Old Testament. And some people go, man, there's so much easier to find application in the New Testament. That's true sometimes. But what you find in the Old Testament brings into reality why the New Testament is so exciting. Because in the Old Testament you have these stories of God's people. And they lived in these cycles, these patterns, these habits. That the more you look, the reality comes and you go, man, they're a lot like me. They're a lot like us. And just like current history, you go into biblical history, so much of what will happen to God's people when they act this way as opposed to how God has called them to, the consequences of that are seen so visibly. But we tend to be so blind to that. Okay? And so Paul starts and he says, remember, you know these stories. He's talking to the church at Corinth. You know all that has happened Consider these things and now don't live in the same way. So he starts by cushioning it with that saying, look, you've got an example here. You don't have to wonder what's going to happen if you decide to go your own way rather than God's. It's right here. And then secondly, he comes off of that as multiple examples. And in verse 12, he says, therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Now this is a crucial command in Scripture. One that each of us, this is another thing when we wake up in the morning, this should be written somewhere. Take heed lest I fall. Because the reality is, one of the most dangerous things we can do at any phase of our life is convince ourselves that we are standing strong. I don't, if we tell ourselves, I don't have anywhere else I need to grow, I don't have anything else I need to learn or walk in. That is the most dangerous place you can be in. Okay? Because the minute you get to that point, you let your guard down. And that's when the enemy attacks. He sees the weakness in that. That's where pride comes in. So Paul cushions us and says, take heed lest you fall. Don't fall. Don't become complacent. Don't become apathetic or just not caring. Take heed. Listen up. That's, that's really the emphasis here. Listen to what God has to say. Listen to the commands of Scripture that you won't fall. <clears throat> and then he comes to this main section in verse 13. Where he states, first of all, that nothing you face when it comes to temptation is out of the ordinary for mankind. Okay? But secondly, that God's never going to let you be tempted. Everyone say tempted. Beyond what you can bear or beyond what you are able. Now, if you step back and you consider what our phrase was that we spoke at the beginning, God will never give you more than you can handle. 
you can see how that little twist in there makes a big difference. And we're going to understand that a little better here. Um, We're going to highlight just the difference here between trial and temptation. Because those are two words in Scripture that if we cross those over, we miss the point. We miss the boat in a big way. Okay? So the first one being temptation. That's what our passage says is God's not going to let you be tempted beyond your ability or beyond what you can bear. And if we were to ask the question, what is temptation? I found this definition this week and I thought it was summed this up really well. The desire to do or act towards a certain end. Okay? The desire to do or to act towards a certain end. And in this context... It would be an unholy or a godless end. The temptation to do or act in a way that's contrary to what God has called you to in Christ. That's what a temptation is. And we have multiple examples of this through scripture. Probably the most prominent one would be in Genesis chapter 3. Where mankind had one command. Don't eat the fruit. And I often come back to this when people say, man, if God just gave us fewer rules to follow, it'd be easier. I go, well, actually, at the very beginning, he gave them one. Okay? And the temptation of that. Now, you look at that, you go, this passage in 1 Corinthians still rings true in the Garden of Eden. There was consistently... A way of escape. And yet, in human nature, gave in to temptation and everything that followed thereafter. Okay? God did give them, in that context, specific instruction. And He gave them the means. They were literally walking with God. And it was mankind's choice to say, well, here we go. In Genesis 39, you have an example. This is when uh, Joseph is in Potiphar's house. Okay? Joseph was taken away from his family. His brothers hated him for his dreams and his father's uh, kind of leniency towards favoring him. And so they sold him. He ended up in Egypt, was a slave to this man named Potiphar and uh, Joseph, from what Scripture tells us, was a very handsome-looking individual, and Potiphar's wife started to notice. And so Joseph had the temptation, or was tempted by Potiphar's wife, and when he fleed, he paid a consequence for it. And God used that. God had a bigger plan, but imagine being Joseph in that circumstance and going, God, I, I, I flee temptation, and now this is what's happening? And what I what I want to highlight in this about temptation is temptation is something that is consistently possible, but that God never allows to be to the point where we cannot bear it. Okay? Now, the other thing you have to realize about temptation is temptation is not something that just happens. You don't you don't give in to temptation just all of a sudden. Okay. And in fact, I, I like to use a chair illustration for this most of the time. There's a lot of people that give in to temptation, they sin, and they go, oh, I don't know how I ended up in this chair. I don't know how I got here. And the reality is, is that 
they stopped putting up guardrails. They stopped recognizing that I, God is always giving me a way of escape. And they started getting closer and closer to this said chair. And they convinced themselves time and time again, oh, well, you know what, it's okay, I'm not sitting in the chair, I'm just a little closer than I was. And the reality comes, the day comes where they find themselves sitting in that chair and they go, I don't know how this happened. Well, it, it didn't happen overnight, okay? It's gradual shift towards that which is ungodly, that which is godless, the more we're okay with. And what may have started as innocent or not that big of a deal turned into something that was a big deal. But in that setting, recognizing that temptation is something that takes place, but there's always, there's always a way of escape. Now, trial is different than temptation. Everyone say it's different. And to highlight that, I want you to turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. <clears throat> and I want to reflect on this in light of what we just read in 1 Corinthians 10, where it says, No temptation is overtaking you except what is common to man. Okay? But God is faithful. He's not going to let you be tempted beyond what you are able or beyond what you can bear. And James comes at this idea of trial from a totally different perspective. And this is where we see one of the biggest differences between trial and temptation. James chapter 1, starting in verse 2, says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Whoa! Hold the phone. Count it all joy when you face trials. Now that's a very different instruction than saying, hey, be comforted knowing that God's not going to let you be tempted beyond what you're able. And there's always a way of escape. Now we've shifted to this idea of trials and he's saying, hey, be joyful. When you face a trial, you need to rejoice. And most of us read that and go, oh, you don't even know what I'm going through. God does. He still says, if you're facing a trial right now, you need to count it all joy. Now, there's a reason for that. Verse 3. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. This is a hard reality for us to wrap our minds around. But the truth of Scripture is that God not only allows, but often encourages trials in our life. And He does that because, church, He doesn't want you to stay where you are. He doesn't desire a people who sit idly by and they never grow, they never move beyond where they're at. And the question I think that I get most when I read this passage is why does God allow trial? And the good thing is James tells us here. 
in verse 3, it produces steadfastness or faithfulness. That is, it instills in us this zeal to keep going. And if I don't meet trial, if I don't meet resistance, then I don't really grow in any way. I just stay where I'm at. In verse 4, it says, Let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The simplicity there is steadfastness, faithfulness in the face of trial leads to maturity. It leads to us rooting into that which we should and pushing away that which we shouldn't be indulging in. It leads us to grow beyond where we're at. And probably the most realistic illustration of that is in any type of training, any type of resistance training or weight training or training for a run. If you always only lift the same weight or run the same distance, you will be really good at whatever that is. But you will never become stronger beyond that point. You will never get to the place where you can run farther or do more. In the same way, God desires that you would not just remain in the same maturity location that you are today. He wants us to grow up into Christ, to understand the depth of this more. And the reality of this is that's exactly why the reading of Scripture in our own personal lives is so important. It's exactly why a community of people who can keep us accountable, not just tell us we're doing a good job, but help us to see the areas where we could do better, is so important. And God often puts trials in our path that He knows has the potential to cause us to grow, but there's a responsibility that falls back on us. Now the thing that we have to recognize in the midst of our trial is you will probably face temptation when you are in the midst of trial. You're going to face temptation to walk away from what God desires for you. You're going to face temptation to fall back into ways that are cultural, not biblical. You're going to face temptation to just stay where you are and ignore it and not grow at all. But no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. Everyone else is struggling with similar things. But God is faithful. He's not going to let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And He always provides a way of escape. There's always an out when we're tempted. In verse 5 of James 1, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. God allows trial because it grows us in our dependence on Him. It grows us in our dependence upon God Himself. 
And if you look down below at verse 12 in James chapter 1, it says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, get this, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. It's quite the sequence of events. But understand that steadfastness in the face of trial ultimately leads to eternal reward. That God isn't the one who tempts, but count it all joy, brothers and sisters, when we face trial. Now what does that mean practically when we think about this statement, God will never give you more than you can handle? Well, God will absolutely allow us to have more on our plate than we are physically able to handle on our own. Especially when we choose to do that ourselves. Now what do I mean by that? (laughs) The reality is, many of you are overwhelmed and you're burdened and you have so much on your plate and it is nobody's fault but your own. And we come back to this place and we we have this guilt because I'm not spending time with God the way I I really am convicted I should. And, you know, I'm I'm really, I'm not spending any time in prayer. And I just don't have time. How many of us say that over and over and over again? I I just don't have time. And when we say a phrase like, God will never give me more than I can handle, all of a sudden... I'm okay with not having time because God must have entrusted this all to me. He's given me all this responsibility. I have to deal with it because God thinks I should be able to. Well, God may be saying, hey, you really aren't focusing on the things you should be. There's some other eternally important things that need your time. And God is a jealous God. If you are skimping on your time with Him, He's going to make it known to you. And I can speak from personal experience that God will do whatever it takes to draw you back to Himself. He will break you down as low as He has to, to cause you to fix your eyes on Him and to pursue after Him. There's an illustration I really like. And it's a story of a man who Jesus approaches and he gives this man a couple of rocks and says, Hey, would you be willing to take these two rocks? I've given you these two responsibilities. Take them up the mountain for me. And this guy's so excited. He's, Man, Jesus, Jesus just gave me a responsibility. And you could identify whatever those, what, what those rocks could be, anything. I'm excited about what this means. I, I get to serve Jesus in this sense. And so he takes off on his journey and he, he gets to the first town and 
you know what? There's a couple people in that town who see him with his cart and a couple rocks. He says, hey, are you going up to the mountain? Oh, yeah. I'm, Jesus, Jesus called me to, to go. He's, I'm taking these for, for him. I say, well, hey, since you're already going, I've got a couple more. Could you just take them with you, too? Oh, yeah, I'm, I could do that. I, I could do that for sure. So they load it up, and he moves on to the next, next town. Another person comes out. Hey, are you going up the mountain? Oh, yeah, I'm doing this for Jesus, you know? He gave me all this responsibility. I'm, I'm headed up for him. This happens multiple times, and what happens? He gets to a point where he's so weighted down. He's so tired. He's so discouraged. And he cries out all at once, God, how could you give this to me? How could you believe that I could handle all of this? How, how could you think that? And Jesus comes along. He looks in the cart. And he starts pulling out. I didn't give you this. I didn't give you this. And pretty soon, after some time, it whittles down to just the two rocks, right? That Jesus had entrusted to him to begin with. And he goes, I didn't place this burden on your shoulders. You did that to yourself. Church, we do that. We add all this extra stuff. And stop realizing that God has given us some very specific and intentional responsibilities that come straight from his word. And it is not God's fault most of the time when we are overburdened and overwhelmed. God may be placing stuff in your path to fix your eyes back on him. You may be facing trial right now going, I don't know where to turn. But for most of us, we just have too much on our plate because of our own doing. And whatever that is, whatever fills that time, it's our choice. And God's going to allow that to happen. Because sometimes that's the only way to bring us to a place where we go, I've got to stop. I've got to stop. So in applying this, how do we do that? I'm going to give you two points of application as we close today. The first one relates right to this illustration. In everything you do, keep the main thing the main thing. You manage your time and your schedule. So don't blame God when there's too much happening. But also, don't convince yourself that it is for His will for you to have that much. It's really important. Every single thing you do, get this is so important, church. Every single thing you do is an opportunity to share Christ with the people around you. But it does not mean that you should do all of the things. And blanket it under the guilt of this, this is a good thing, I have to do it for Jesus. Practically, you do this by starting... To stop and evaluate why your life is so overwhelming. 
It's a good question to ask yourself. Why is my life so overwhelming? And if you're like me, you need to make a list. Sit down with a piece of paper, make a list of everything you're doing. And then practically put down how much time does it take to do each of those things. And it will become really apparent really quickly why you're so overwhelmed. And then you need to go through that list and you need to evaluate and say, what of these things is essential? And what of these things can I let go? Because the reality is, God may be calling you to something in this area that you're not doing because you're distracted by all of this over here. Number two, when you are overwhelmed, ask yourself, who or what am I depending on? Who or what am I depending on in this time, in this season? When I'm overwhelmed, when I'm discouraged, when I'm facing trial. Every one of us has a pull towards doing stuff ourselves. We like to be in control. We like to manage stuff. But you need to stop in the moment you're in. If you're overwhelmed, if you're discouraged, if you're distressed, and you need to ask yourself, who or what am I depending on or in in this circumstance? Who or what are my eyes fixed on? And who or what am I pursuing? My prayer is that it would be Christ. And so as we reflect on this, I'm going to say this statement again. And you're going to respond. God will never give you more than you can handle. I'm going to say it one more time because we're going to say it powerfully now that we know he actually didn't say that. Okay? God will never give you more than you can handle. I expect each one of you now when you face that to answer with Scripture. Okay? Let's pursue truth together and live in a way that fix our eyes on Jesus rather than ourselves. The worship team is going to come and we're going to close in prayer together. Heavenly Father, we praise you for giving us your truth and bringing us to a place where we can understand the depth of this in our own lives. Father, I pray that as we consider the reality that you place trials in our lives, that we might grow, that we might mature, that we might become who you've called us to be. Lord, may we count it all joy when we face trials. But Lord, in the same time, may we recognize that uh, we have a choice when we face temptation, when we face the reality of doing something that's contrary to what you've called us to, Lord. May we have the strength to take the way of escape that you've already promised will be there. So, Lord, help us to be your church. The church you've called us to be here in Canton. Lord, that we would elevate you and your truth above all else and fix our eyes on you in every season of life that we face. In Jesus' name, amen.